Welcome into the Vandy Sports Podcast on the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Billy Derrick, and today I'll be previewing the 2024 Vanderbilt baseball season. Got a couple of guests coming on. We'll kick it off with Andrew Allegretta, the play-by-play voice for Vanderbilt baseball. You can hear him on 102.5 The Game, also 94.9 The Fan. We talked about maybe some potential breakout candidates, what he's seen from uh, some of the winter scrimmages and even some scrimmages dating back to the fall and overall expectations for this ball club uh, to, to see what they can ultimately accomplish this season. And then Joe Healy from D1Baseball.com, also SEC Extra. We dove into Vanderbilt and got into the nitty-gritty uh, with uh, a lot of the young pitching staff, guys like Ethan McIlvain, even Cam Kozial. Where do these young guys uh, fit into this lineup? And, and is Vanderbilt an Omaha team? Can they win a national title? Joe Healy dives into all of it. Uh, with uh, with me here in the second portion of this podcast. But a couple of words from uh, two of our sponsors. First and foremost, Anchor Impact. Commodore Nation, you can get closer to Vanderbilt Athletics than ever before with Anchor Impact, the official NIL collective for Vanderbilt University. Gain access to unmatched exclusive coverage and be part of a one-of-a-kind community. As an Anchor Impact member, you gain exclusive privileges and benefits, offering deeper engagement with student-athletes, coaches, staff, and the entire Vanderbilt community. Access behind-the-scenes content, exclusive events, unique merchandise, and personalized experiences, creating an unparalleled connection with the student-athlete's journey. Become a member today and be part of this impactful journey. Help the Commodores thrive and contribute now by logging on to anchorimpact.com slash register. Also, the uh, topics on today's show and this season's baseball content, so you're going to hear a lot from the, uh, the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company. They are a family-owned third-generation milk and ice cream distribution company located out in Murfreesboro. Partnership began over 50 years ago with Purity Dairy in Nashville to provide purity milk and ice cream to consumers in Middle Tennessee, and they now serve Southern Kentucky, Northern Alabama, Chattanooga, and North Georgia. Today, they supply grocery stores, convenience stores, and others with purity products, as well as Mayfield, Nestle, and Haagen-Dazs ice cream. For more information, visit their website at mpmci.com. All right, it all gets going Friday night for the Vandy boys as they welcome FAU, the FAU Owls, solid program. Uh, so this is going to be an interesting uh, series, non-conference series, of course, for Vanderbilt, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We will we will be there to cover all the action. I talk a little bit about that with Joe Healy coming up later in the podcast, but first, we'll kick it off with Andrew Allegretta. Play-by-play a broadcaster for Vanderbilt baseball games at the Hawk. Hawkins Field, and he's actually there right now. Andrew Allegretta joining me here to preview the 2024 Vanderbilt baseball season. Andrew, you've been at some of these scrimmages uh, over the weekend, and um, I think I went to one early in the winter. Um, and again, you can't you can't take a ton from these, uh, but I think the biggest thing from these scrimmages is okay, who's playing where? Um, you know, this freshman playing well defensively. Um, you know, you've got this Braden Holcomb monster who's, who's you know, 6'5", towering over a lot of the other guys. So what do you look for in these? And, and I guess what have you taken away from, from some of these scrimmages you've been able to look at? Uh, first off, good to talk with you. It's here. Yeah. Baseball's here. I'm very excited. Yeah. It's uh, it's get ready day, too, because the fence is getting adjusted, like the new sponsorships and stuff. They're going up. Um, the Hawk is getting its annual power clean, which is great. Uh, so we're very excited. Um, what have I taken away from the spring? I think, like you said, it's a little tricky. 
um, because there's so much experimenting that happens throughout the course of fall ball, throughout the course of spring practices and the scrimmages. So it's hard to know exactly, okay, because X happened on January 31st, that's going to translate uh, to March or April. I think one of the things that we know is frequently it doesn't translate, right? And Coach Corbin is going to experiment. I, I think if there's an instinct that I would have watching fall and spring um, unfold is there's going to be a lot of competitions for a lot of positions and perhaps way more than we're used to over the past couple of years, at least that I am, because uh, I really can only think of two positions that are locked in. And I don't think that would surprise anybody that shortstop and third base feel pretty good. And then after that, the other positions I think could change throughout the course of February, March and into April. And then invariably something's going to change in May and June. Um, I think there will be some growing pains defensively. And that's not to say that they're going to be bad defensively at all. But I think you're going to have a lot of people out there that haven't seen the same number of innings going into the season uh, that perhaps that we're used to. And replacing Enrique Bradfield Jr. in center field is going to change everything for them. Everything. Because the way that they line up their left fielders and right fielders has to be different uh, because they could do so much. Uh, with Bradfield and center field um, left and right are going to have to carry more water throughout the course of the season, or you could see uh, more offense for defense type substitutions um, come the sixth, seventh and eighth innings. You know, if hypothetically speaking, if uh, RJ Austin starts off in center field and then Vanderbilt gets a lead, they might move him to an infield spot. They might put, uh, Cal Hewitt in center field. Now you've got a better defensive lineup on the field for when Vanderbilt leads, hopefully by three, four, five in the seventh or eighth. Um, I just think the defense is going to be in flux for a long time throughout the course of this season. That's not a bad thing at all. Uh, I think they've got a lot of players that can play. It's just solidifying this defense. It may not happen for months and it may never really happen throughout the course of the season. We'll see. I want to go back to last year, specifically the the end of last year. Obviously, you know, you were there and Hoover calling their SEC tournament title, um, and then you know they return home for a regional, and um, obviously it was a disappointing end to the season. Uh, and that's that was back to back seasons, you know, ending in in a regional loss, one on the road in in Corvallis, of course, last year at home in Nashville. With your experience kind of being around these guys, talking to Coach Corbin, I know you guys actually had a recent recent anchor podcast out that was really good, actually. I encourage everybody to listen, but what adjustments have they made because of how last season ended, in particular with some of the pitching injuries, which you guys talked about, um, and just offensively, too? Like, how how does another disappointing ending in a regional sort of connect to this year and provide sort of a chip on the shoulder of some of these guys and even a lot of these guys, because you do have a couple fifth year seniors and you got some veteran guys that, you know, it's, it's kind of time for, you know, for them to, to step up. A lot of good questions. And, and frankly, Billy questions that I don't have the answer to specifically and, and how last year translates to this year from a motivational standpoint from the guys, I'm really curious to see what um, personality this team takes on. I'm not saying that Bradfield was the personality, but I do think he was the largest personality on that team. And frankly, probably for the better part of the past two seasons, not just last season. Um, 
And that's, again, that's a great thing. Bradfield was a wonderful leader, but there is a vacuum there. I would hunch the biggest personality on the team becomes RJ Austin. Uh, and I would hunch he becomes the emotional leader for that team. Um, and I'm sure there's more dynamics in that locker room that that we don't see. But, you know, from the outside looking in, it seems like it's it's RJ's team vocally. Um, what that means from a wins loss perspective, I don't know. But but RJ feels like a great motor to lead the team, an incredible motor. And that's one of the things Corbin told me in the conversation is that, you know, if RJ Austin is out there taking ground balls during training. He takes 50 ground balls. He doesn't take 40 and then sort of does 10. He does 50 ground balls with intention. And that is a great person to have as your heartbeat. So that's a good thing. Um, in terms of what they've done differently, I don't have specifics for you. Uh, but I do know that they have been intentional with how they've trained throughout the course of the offseason. It's, it's a lot of... Um, Smaller stuff that probably wouldn't resonate with people that can't, um, you know, lift 400 pounds on a bench press, which is certainly me because I, I don't know. Uh, no doubt. No. Um, so they're in the weeds on that and we'll see how it translates. They've also clearly been focused on adding depth to the pitching staff. Um, I, you know, one of the things that I, I it, it's, it's interesting, like clearly the regional was a disappointment last year. No one's going to deny that. Having said that, the team lost, in effect, its Friday and Saturday starters and still found a way to win the SEC tournament championship and be a national seed. Like J.D. Thompson, a freshman who I don't think anyone was really expecting much from, was firing pellets versus Florida and Hoover and won the game. You know, it was a really impressive season from that standpoint. And, and I and I do like the fact that, as with everyone, like the standards are so high that you can win the SEC tournament championship. You can miss out on Omaha. And we're talking about what's been done to fix everything. I think the greatest common denominator, and it's probably true every season, uh, is Coach Corbin hasn't lost his edge. You know, if Corbin is still out there with the maniacal focus on details and success, then you've put enough coal in the engine to fire this thing forward. So we'll see what it translates in into victories. Um, they have been intentional, like you were saying, changing their training program. It's small stuff, but we'll see how it translates. And, you know, someone's going to have to step up uh, on a regular basis, I think from just a heartbeat standpoint, because Bradfield's not here anymore. And I do expect that more often than not, uh, to, to be led by RJ Austin. All right, let's start pitching wise in terms of kind of, kind of giving you the chance to outline some of these guys and, and some of the guys that we think, or you think actually will, will start or will play. I'm not asking you to project here, but kind of outline on these guys. We'll start pitching wise. You have Carter Holton, you've got Devin Futrell. I think a big question mark is, where are those guys slotted? Is that your one and two guy? Or is that your day one, day two guy? Sunday-wise, you've got a ton of options. Dukanich is in there, Grayson Carter, Ethan McIlvain, Cunningham. You can really go on and on. I mean, Andrew, there's, you could argue, 12, 13 pitchers that, that Tim Corbin has at his disposal to either start, middle relief, close, 
another good problem to have, like you said earlier. Um, pitching wise, what do you look at? Uh, who's maybe even a sleeper a guy that that you think a lot of people may not be talking about, but he could see a lot of time this season. What, what do you think about the uh, about the pitching? I mean, I think Andrew Dukanich certainly could be a sleeper. I don't know if it's in the Sunday role, if it's in the Tuesday role, if it's in some other role. Um, from a pure stuff standpoint, like Andrew Dukanich might have the best stuff on the entire team, right up there with Carter Halton, right up there with Ethan McElvain. So that's really interesting to me. I think it's really interesting that Vanderbilt goes into a season with two potential and draft eligible prospects in Carter Holton and Andrew Dukanich, both of them draft eligible, that have first round potential that nobody's talking about because they came off of injuries. I can project one thing with relative confidence, and it's that this team will do a um, connective start to the season, meaning that somebody's going to start game one versus FAU and probably will only go three to four innings and then pass the baton. They're going to do that for mm -hmm. about a month. You know, yeah. th this is not for, for as much as some people might want to tag the program. And, and I don't know that they do it a ton, but I feel like I hear it every now and then. Like does coach Corbin really manage the welfare of his student athletes from an, yes. Like if there's ever a program that manages pitchers arms really well, it's this one. Um, there will be no Paul Skeens that throws 150 pitches every single Friday night throughout the course of the season. Um, Carter Halton, Devin Futrell, Dukanich, Grayson Carter, Cunningham, whoever it's going to be throughout the course of the weekend probably will go three to four innings for the first month of the season. And we mm -hmm. probably won't see a consistent rotation uh, until we get to, you know, after the Houston series. All right. Offensively, um, you know, th th this this is the question I ask. I get asked this a lot. You know, how, how good are they going to be offensively? Um, you know, and a lot of it is you just got to kind of wait and see. You mentioned guys that have to step up. Some of those guys for me are certain guys in the junior class. Uh, you look at Davis Diaz, Jonathan Vastine, uh, even Matthew Polk. You have Je uh, Jacob Humphrey coming over from UMass Lowell. Uh, but you've, you got a couple of seniors as well. Jack Bolger, Alan Espinall. Uh, in that catching battle, and you've got some young guys, Cam Kojal, Braden Holcomb, you know, who knows uh, where those guys could be slotted and how much they'll play, but what do you think this team could do potentially offensively and how important is, say, a power increase? You know, does it does it need to be dramatic or does it need to be just a little bit better than last year? I don't know. Like, I feel like I think back to the the money ball scenes where it's like all that matters is getting on base. If you can get yeah. on base through a walk, a hit by a pitch, a hit, a home run, whatever, we're fine. Um, there is obviously a very nice luxury in this league when you face just hellacious stuff to struggle for eight innings, get a hit by a pitch, get a walk and hit a three run home run. And all of a sudden your offense looks fine. That feels um, significant, but not necessarily like a strategy that you lean into. Um, and I don't think they look at it like that. Uh, you know, I've talked with Coach Baxter in the past, not necessarily recently, but they clearly care about home runs. I mean, the program set a record back in 2019. It's not like they shrug off hitting home runs. They want home runs. They just don't um, think about it as, you know, go out there and swing for the fences for nine innings and we'll be fine. It's, it's, it's managing um, 
how you control your bat, how you get to the point of contact, stuff that is beyond um, my baseball understanding, but they talk about on a regular basis. Um, in, in terms of the offense, I think there is certainly a very wide spectrum of where it could go. I feel like I could sit here and tell you about four to five to six guys that could be double-digit home run guys. If Davis Diaz is a double-digit home run guy, Coach Corbin's not surprised. If Jonathan Vastine is, I don't think they're surprised. If Troy Laniv is, I don't think they're surprised. If Jack Bolger is, I don't think they're surprised. If Braden Holcomb is, I don't think they're surprised. There's just a long list of guys that could be that, but we'll need to show it. And I think, I think the defense and the offense kind of goes hand in hand, um, which is why I'm so curious to see how the first couple of weeks of the season shake out just because, you know, coach Corbin always talks about the fact that defense gets you on the field and your offense keeps you there. Um, how he manages defensive growth within the potential to score runs will be really interesting. I guess a very specific example of that would be the right side of the infield. If Cam Kojal plays a lot of second base and Chris Maldonado plays a lot of first base, seems plausible. But their defense will need to mature. Chris, I don't think, is naturally a first baseman. Now, they, they got there with Dom Keegan and they got there with Parker Nolan. So they've got a history of of teaching that position. Mm -hmm. But but Chris is going to need some time in game action to see a lot of ground balls. And Cam Kojal, very talented. And there's a lot of confidence in the building about his offensive approach. Someone told me that he's unique in the sense that he looks like a left-handed hitter with a very flat bat path that can get to fastballs. And then all of a sudden, someone throws him a curveball down at the knees. And both intellectually and instinctually he can drop the bat head and get to it that's advanced from a freshman so there's there's optimism about his offense but i think his defense is going to need some time so how coach corbin manages offensive output with growing into the defense it's going to be interesting for about a month player comp for you for uh cam kojal i don't know if you remember ethan paul played at Vanderbilt. I don't know if you've I'm heard very, of him. You know, very familiar okay. with the name. Uh, very, very yeah. familiar with the name. So I could see that. that that's, a, that's a little player comp for you for uh, for Cam Kojal. All right, Andrew, let's finish it up with this SEC baseball. I mean, I'm jealous of you. You get to travel to these 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 gorgeous ballparks uh, with all kinds of, you know, different atmospheres, which is going to be fun for you. It's a challenge every year for Vanderbilt, obviously. We know that. But what are you most excited to see uh, about this team? Uh, this season under Tim Corbin? I'll give you two. And I think I'm cycling back to kind of where I started because sometimes we get so in the weeds, which is great trying to figure out what the team is. And then you zoom out and you try to figure out what the headline stuff is. I think RJ Austin's a really special player. And I don't know that we've talked about him enough going into the season. Um, I don't know that he's going to hit 350 with 20 home runs. That's that's not really what I'm saying. I just think he could be the leadoff guy or the number two hitter for the bulk of the season, and he finishes with a batting average close to or above 300, and he's in the middle of everything for this team. If you told me, and I don't know that he's going to win the award, but if you told me that that RJ got votes for SEC Player of the Year, 
I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be shocked. Like there's so much in front of him, right. With Jack Caglione and Lavalette down at Texas A&M Montgomery at Texas. There's so many people in front of him in that conversation, but if he had that kind of season, because he's that kind of player, I wouldn't be shocked. I'm really curious to see how he uh, handles and leans into his sophomore season, which is always hard because now teams have a scout on you. Um, And then the other one is, I'm just so compelled to see how Carter Holton and Andrew Dukanich, Holton specifically, but both of those guys come back from uh, their injuries from a season ago. Because, again, both are draft eligible. Dukanich, a draft eligible sophomore. And both of them have first round stuff. Like this team is interesting, really interesting. And and I don't know if there's a, a, a year comp that you might be able to come up with, Billy. But it may be lacking that top 10 overall draft pick. But it is stacked with guys that could sneak into the back end of the first round or second and third rounders. Like Davis Diaz falls into that category. Uh, Vastein falls into that category. Chris Maldonado is draft eligible. He might be a little bit further down the list. Uh, but you've got pitchers up and down that all fall into that category. It's Grayson Carter, uh, Devin Futrell. Uh, Carter Holton. It's really compelling. Uh, but RJ Austin and, and how Holton and then to a slightly lesser extent, Dukanich come back from from their health uh, concerns a season ago, I think could could move the needle significantly for the team. Yeah, honestly, go back to 2014, maybe. I mean, I know they won the national title. I'm not trying to say Vandy's going to win the national title this year, but pitching wise, just the depth. I'm sure you've talked to people in 14 and 15 where heading into the season, you may not have looked at it and gone, okay, that's the best pitching staff in the country, but it can be. And in 2014, sure. they held up that end of the bargain. And, of course, Corbin compared Ethan McIlvain to Carson Palmer, a guy that yeah. was on uh, those teams. So you just there's a lot there. Uh, and, again, we've talked about it. I think a big theme is that these are good problems to have. These aren't like – Coach Corbin also laughed about it. He said, I'm not – these aren't concerning me. Like, I'm not – staying up at night about these issues because not every program has these problems. No, I remember doing an interview before the Oklahoma state uh, series a couple of years ago. And it was, I think a top 10 matchup to open up the season and Vanderbilt mm-hmm. lost two out of three. And, you know, he made the point, like we've got a lot to to handle with Oklahoma state cause they're good. But then he paused and he goes, uh, but they also have to deal with Vanderbilt. And, right. and we can, we can say that over and over again about the sec, like LSU still good. Florida's still good. Texas A&M has loaded itself up. Tennessee might take a step back, but they're still, guess what? Everyone still needs to deal with Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt will need, I think, some people settling into roles offensively and getting comfortable defensively and and, and hopefully managing the health aspect. Do, do people talk about the fact that Florida went the entire season with the same Fully Friday, healthy. Saturday, and Sunday starters from week one of the season all the way through Omaha? That's insane. Unheard of. It's apps. And and Paul Skeens, incredibly talented, never needed to miss anything. Dylan Cruz never needed to miss anything. That's always an X factor. Um, But everybody else is still going to have to deal with Vanderbilt. Man, it, it, either way, it just feels good to talk baseball again. Uh, Mm -hmm. February 16th, FAU coming to Nashville. Hopefully the weather stays like this. It won't. It won't, but I i mean, I would love if every day felt like this in the last few days, that'd be great. But either way, we're, we're talking baseball and it all starts February 16th, just under 10 days away. Andrew, thanks for taking the time. Looking forward to the season. 
Thanks, Billy. A very quick plug. Um, for those that listen on the radio, certainly we appreciate you sticking with mm -hmm. us. There's going to be a lot of flexibility with which station we're on. Uh, but as in the early part of the season, that settles in. Uh, but 1025 right. the game, 949 the fan. Every now and then we're going to have to pop down to 1021 the Ville because, like, you know, the Preds and women's basketball are playing at the same time. Uh, but as always, you can download the Vanderbilt Athletics app and listen to it there as well. It's crossover season. Yes, there sir. you go uh, for, for the next month or so. That's Andrew Allegretta previewing the 2024 Vandy Boys. Closing out uh, this week's, the final week before uh, Vanderbilt gets it going against FAU at Hawkins Field. Uh, we've got Joe Healy now on the podcast from D1Baseball.com. Also, SEC Extra with Mark, Eth Mark Etheridge. If you're going to subscribe to one thing this year and you're an SEC baseball fan, that's what you should do. Um, I, I did it. And I was like, man, because I'm not honestly just subscribed to a ton, but I that's the best subscription I've got. So lo love what you guys are doing over at SEC Extra. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Baseball's almost here, man. Yeah, happy to be here, Billy. Uh, always a pleasure. And yes, I, I always I joke that, you know, college baseball is right around the corner when the weather gets really gross, you know, and uh, <laughs> here in the Carolinas, it's been, <clears throat> been pretty chilly for two or three weeks now. So, and when it's been warm, it's been rainy. So that, that tells me that, Hey man, we're, we are right around the corner and yeah, I can't wait. Um, you know, looking forward to it. And I appreciate the kind words about sec extra Mark and I are, um, you know, we promised when we started it a year ago or at this time, about this time a year ago that, you know, we're just going to throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what sticks. And, and thanks to, to folks like you, and I'm sure some of your listeners and viewers, like a lot of stuff stuck, thankfully. And so um, we're just kind of excited to keep iterating and keep trying new stuff. And, and we'll see what happens in a year or two. Yeah, I want to kick it off with that. Uh, what, what do you guys have planned? Maybe some things differently that you guys didn't do last year that you've added uh, to, to the not that you guys didn't do enough last year, because I'm sure it was a lot and super, super busy for you guys. But what what do you have um, new to uh, to SEC Extra this year? A couple things I'm really looking forward to. One is that we're launching um, a every weekend basically a daily uh, SEC Baseball Today YouTube show. Um, it'll be me primarily. Um, Mark will be on sometimes. I imagine I'll rope in Kindle or Aaron or Mike Rooney or someone else occasionally um, based on who's seen what in the SEC and who might have some some. Uh, some takes, if you will. But the idea is, you know, Friday will preview the weekend. Saturday will kind of look back, but also look forward. And then Sunday will be a little, okay, Here, here's the state of play. And all of the SEC series go into the final day, kind of get you ready for that. So last season, we kind of felt like one, one aspect that was missing was, okay, I might be at a series or maybe Mark's at a series. So we'll, we'll have that series covered. But how do we cover the other six series going on in the conference well that's more than just a, a line or two here and like some sort of recap post which those are a dime a dozen and not really helpful mm -hmm. and we're trying to really dig deep so that was a response to the idea of how do we make content for our subscribers and, and for just casuals who maybe are interested in, in subscribing that is more instantaneous a response to what's happening right now we were doing a good job previewing we were doing a good job recapping at the end of the weekend, but we wanted to do some more during the weekend that felt a little more up to the minute. So that's that's the one of the we're looking forward to. We're also focusing just generally on trying to incorporate our voices a little bit more. Last year, it was a lot of 
you know, we covered the nuts and bolts and the blocking and tackling, metaphorically speaking, of SEC baseball. And Mark did a pretty good job, I think, putting his voice into into things. But, you know, this year I'm trying to find ways that I could, you know, give a little more personality, give a little more perspective. Um, sure, I'm going to still do a lot of the reporting and just the, the game stories and, and profiles and things like that. But I've also got some ideas kicking around, nothing firm yet, about how I could you could just understand what's going on in my mind and kind of give maybe... I won't say takes, mm-hmm. but just kind of a more of a an opinion or a perspective on, on what's happening around the league in a way that I wasn't doing a ton of last year. That won't backfire with certain fan bases. Uh, oh, sure. Not at all. With, not with at those, all. Uh, the, the hot takes. But uh, yeah. but no, Joe, honestly, really love the work. And and again, I'm hoping that uh, that more people subscribe, especially on the Vandy side of things, because, you know, you guys cover Vanderbilt just like you do Missouri, honestly. And I think that's the best the best part about what you guys do. Um, let's start with Vandy. Of course, the, the, the Vandy Sports Podcast, I might want to do that. You were at the Wake Forest Vanderbilt scrimmage, which was loaded with talent. I walked into to the Hawk and, and walked right by at, at least 15 MLB scouts. And, you know, you kind of got the vibe of, okay, there's a lot of talent here. Corbin, of course, talked about that at the end of the scrimmage. What stood out to you on the Vanderbilt side? And, and of course, it all starts at pitching. But even offensively, you know, were there were there any guys that stood out to you where you go, maybe 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 that 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 guy could have could have a big year. I mean, the first guy is the first guy that stands out physically is is Braden Holcomb. I mean, he just he looks like a big leaguer right now, and it kind of remains to be seen what his role ends up being. He's going to have to swing and miss less than you know he historically has but you know he's a big power bat so there's gonna be some swing and miss you're never gonna get rid of all of that but for Vanderbilt to be as good as it can be offensively I have a feeling he's gonna have to be a part of it in the big picture offensively it's a little bit of a I think you can look at it either way I love the athleticism you've got a lot of guys who can do a lot of things really well you've got a lot of positional versatility you've got a lot of guys you don't have any you know Enrique Bradfield type runners but you have a lot of guys who can run a little right you've got RJ Davis and you've got uh Vastine, you've got Davis Diaz, you've got Jacob Humphrey, um, you know, uh, so you've got Cam Kojal, another freshman, all guys who are athletic can play a bunch of positions, um, can run a little bit, you know, hit hit profiles over power profiles. And so I think the positive of that is that I think that makes Vanderbilt a little bit injury proof in a certain way uh, on the on the the lineup side of things because you can move some pieces around. The and they can also speed up a defense, right? Because if they're putting the ball in the play, they can they can run a little bit, they can make things happen. The downside of that, though, is it does feel like there is a little bit of redundancy there, to some degree. And I'm not saying you necessarily have to have a guy, you know, uh, a stereotypical first baseman who's big and lumbering and and can't can't run, and a third baseman right. who has good hands and a good arm but can't doesn't have any sort of lateral quickness. Like those stereotypes aren't necessarily the best way to go about it, but you would like maybe to have a little more physicality, right? And I think that's been a big talking point with Vanderbilt in the fall and lead up to this season is, hey, this is the SEC where, unless you're Kentucky last year, which, you know, we can we can have a debate on whether that's sustainable year to year for them. You're looking at a lot of physical teams. And I think we've kind of learned that, you know, you don't have to live and die by the three-run homer, but it sure is nice if you can get bailed out by one every once in a while. So, that to me is a question offensively. And I think that's the question a lot of people have offensively, but I will say that I think people are underestimating 
how effective this offense could be. I mean, look, in conference play last year, Vanderbilt second in the conference in batting average. And I get the batting average is okay. We could, you know, again, we could litigate how much we want to look at batting average as a telltale stat, but it's not nothing, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of the question offensively. And, you know, we can transition to the mound, but I'll just say generally on the mound, it's like stuff is not going to be, stuff never is a problem at Vanderbilt, but man, it, it was just dude after dude after dude after dude in terms of stuff. And, and what I like, is that you've got polish, right? I mean, Fitrell obviously is about as polished as you get. Um, you know, he's polished like a diamond. I mean, scouts actually mm-hmm. wish he had a little more stuff <laughs> because if you take a tick or two more in stuff and take Fitrell's poise, command, uh, variability in his repertoire, you've got like a first-round talent, but his stuff just isn't mm-hmm. quite there. Um, Holton has plenty of polish. He's got more stuff, but he's got plenty of po- – but then you've got like – the Grayson Carter, Bryce Cunningham guys, where it's just like arm strength. And hey, if we can get these guys in the zone, if we can get their breaking stuff to be a little bit better, there's that. So I like the different looks they have there. And man, the ceiling is really, really high. I do think there is some downside risk with the staff a little bit. If if, if those types of guys don't, the Carters, the Cunninghams, et cetera, don't kind of take another step. But man, the ceiling is as high as, as any team in the in the conference, I think, on the mound. Yeah, let, let's keep it rolling on the mound. We'll kind of go offensively a little bit later, but because I mean, we could talk about this pitching staff for probably an hour or so. But in in the, in the rotation, you, you got to imagine Carter Holton is your ace. After that, I, I've talked to a lot of people um, that have told me Futrell is is the number two guy, but we just we don't know. You know, I mean, who who knows if if Ethan McIlvain later in the season develops into this this star uh, as as Corbin can. You know, compared him to to Carson Fulmer, you know, and Fulmer ended up, you know, proven to be a, a star, of course, an MLB player. You've got, uh, as, as well as, you know, McIlvain, you've got Cunningham, like you said, you've got Carter, um, you know, you've got Dukanich still, who, who's uber talented. So what do you think this rotation, like, like week one SEC play, week one, I'm in football mode, but opening series SEC play. If you had to make a gut prediction what this rotation might end up being, what would be your conjecture there? Yeah, I, I think I think Holton and Fatrell are, you know, unless unless they decide to really just kind of play some, I don't want to say play some games, that has a negative connotation, but mess around a little bit and see what's what. I have to imagine it's Holton and Fatrell those those first two days in some in some order. Those guys are just too proven. It's probably the most, it's almost certainly the most proven one, two in, in the SEC. I'd have to like really dig into that, but I, I that I feel like that has to be the case. Um, and then in the third spot, I, I kind of think Dukanich is the guy there. You know, I came out of last fall and, and I, I was talking to Mike Rooney about this because he saw Vanderbilt two falls ago and he came back saying, man, this Dukanich kid, like, there, you know, there's, there's some stuff that he needs to clean up fastball wise, but that slider is like a cheat code, you know? And, and so he's like, I, you know, I think this is their guy. And then of course injury happens and we don't really get it. And it kind of feels like because of the McIlvain's of the world and, and the pitchers that Vanderbilt brings back that were on the mound last year that we've kind of collectively, and I'll throw myself into this forgotten a little bit about Andrew Dukanich. So yeah, I think he's the third guy because I do think there's some element of wanting to see what you, what you got there. Um, and figuring that out before we move on to some other options. Now, I think you and I both know that early season college baseball, you I, you just you do see a lot of tinkering. Like that's not mm-hmm. it's not going to be crazy if we if we see something totally wonky and we get piggyback starters or or whatever. And and those midweek games early in the season end up being kind of valuable 
tests as well. So especially if the weather sucks, right? I mean, like if the weather's really terrible on a Saturday, it could be, well, we don't want to put this freshman out there when it's, you know, 38 degrees right. and raining sideways. Like let's save it for Tuesday when it's 65 and sunny and then do it then because we don't want this kid's first appearance to, you know, to, to be that. So there are some other variables there, which, you know, that this, this is what you get when you play college baseball in mid-February. But yeah, so, you know, I'll go Holton, Fatrell, and Dukanich, but, you know, TBD. Yeah, who knows? I, I want to get into the bullpen. Um, and, and, you know, who knows with the bullpen either? Because if Dukanich is that third guy, then, okay, you point to guys like Cunningham, Carter, David Horn is a guy I don't think we've mentioned. McIlvain, I guess, could eventually come out of the pen there. Um, but say... You know, say Cunningham is is your game three guy, then you you would kind of force Dukanich into a bullpen role, but they got to find a closer as well. Uh, but the, I want to ask you that that question there: Do they have to find a closer? I mean, every team doesn't have a kind of a lockdown closer. Where they know, hey, this guy is is finishing this game off if if we're ahead. Um, obviously, you'd like to have a closer, but if you were kind of handicap, maybe a potential closer uh, for this team, who who would you think? I think I'd go McIlvain, honestly, because I, I think there's an there's an element of wanting to maybe it's not in the rotation. You know, if maybe if Vanderbilt was starting from scratch in the rotation, maybe they put McIlvain in there and, and hey, let's see what you got, kid. I do right. think they want to put him in high leverage situations. I just don't know that it, it doesn't have to be the rotation, right? And we, we know that stuff plays up. I mean, there's there's two pitchers I saw this fall who just blew me away two freshman pitchers. One is McIlvain. The other is Liam Peterson of Florida. One of those two guys I think is going to end up being the best pitcher in the SEC, freshman pitcher in the SEC this season. And, you know, so McIlvain's got the stuff. Um, he's, he's got the mentality. I mean, you, you heard the lot of that stuff about him, just that, you know, he wants to be out there. He's competitive. He's got the demeanor you're looking for and that all that stuff kind of sounds like closer. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and also, I mean, he is eventually, the idea I'm I'm assuming is to eventually have him be a starter. He has the look of a future Friday guy. That's mm -hmm. you make a great point. Like closer does not mean, Hey, three outs and you're done. It can in certain situations. There are guys like that, but if he's a guy they want to eventually stretch out, he could be a six out closer. He could be a, Hey, get us out of this jam in the seventh. And then let's just see how long we can go. That might be the eventual role for him because I do think he has the ability to be stretched out. He, you know, you watch him throw and it's like, it's 98 miles an hour, but it's an easy 98. Like he's not out mm -hmm. there with a violent delivery grunting on every pitch to get it over at 98. Like it's kind of smooth and easy. So that's where I'd, I'd go there. But man, you talk about being able to give a bunch of different looks. I mean, if, you know, Carter and Cunningham, both big time stuff, you mentioned David Horn. That's a great one. You've got experience here. You know, you've got Ginther and you've got Hoboki and, you know, it, it, we know that coaches love those security blankets of the guys who mm -hmm. have been in, you know, dozens and dozens of SEC games. So it wouldn't shock me if, if at least initially you get something like that. But for me, if I think having McIlvain in that role is the perfect Venn diagram of let's not put him out there on, on, on Fridays or Saturdays against SEC foes, but let's also use one of the best arms on our roster in situations that are, that are high leverage. And to me, that, that means, you know, a, a stopper in some, in some form. Joe, we love making these preseason statements. Uh, you know, this team has the best pitching staff. This team has the most power. You know, this team's got the best freshmen. Uh, obviously, Wake Forest, you would have to say. I mean, it's hard to 
say anyone's got the best pitching staff in the country other than Wake Forest right now, especially with their 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 top three guys. Uh, but you know, where does Vanderbilt stack up for you overall, at least from top to bottom? You know, when you look at just their pure depth, uh, when you kind of kind of stack them up, not just with the SEC, but in the country. Probably top. I mean, it, the depth is where it's at. I mean, they have high end guys too, but the depth is what is what stands out to me. Put a pin in that for for a second. I'll answer your question more directly though. Probably top seven, ten, cer- ten certainly five to seven, maybe. Mm-hmm. It, it just in terms of you've got the experienced guys, you've got the guys with raw stuff, you've got the guys that give unique looks, you've got experienced bullpen guys. And then they have the ceiling to be a top three pitching staff. I, I now I'll circle back to what I put a pin in. I so I agree with you generally. Wake Forest, I mean that they have three Friday guys essentially in their rotation. Um, you know, three guys who could be first round picks. They're just okay. We get it. They're great. <laughs> like congratulations, you have a great pitching yeah. staff again. Um, but I think one thing we saw in that fall scrimmage was that Vanderbilt. I, I know Coach Corbin was a little bit frustrated the first you know, six innings didn't go great. But I think one thing you saw was that Vanderbilt got better as the scrimmage went on. And I Mm -hmm. think that speaks in large part to the depth on the pitching staff, because at some point, you know, you're just going as the scrimmage goes on, you're kind of, you know, the first six are like one versus ones. And the second scrimmage is kind of a mix of ones and twos for both teams. But so you're, you're getting theoretically equal uh, talent, quote unquote, as you go through the scrimmage and, you know, Vanderbilt won those last two six inning stints um, and looked a lot better. Now, would you want to look best against Vanderbilt or uh, Wake Forest ones? Sure. But I, I do think it shows that the strength of this team might be in its depth as much as its high end talent. And I think that's certainly true position player wise, but I think there's some truth in it on the mound as well. All right. Position players. Here we go. Um, uh, you know, I think the corners, Look fairly settled uh, with with Davis Diaz at third and and Chris Maldonado uh, over at first. Uh, the middle, of course, with Vastine at short. At second, could it be Cam Kozel? Could it be Jaden Davis? We'll see. Uh, center field, is it R.J. Austin? Does he does he stick in center? Uh, you know, right field. You've got guys like Calvin Hewitt, Jacob Humphrey. So Corbin actually said this uh, in his availability uh, before the season. He said, this might be the toughest decision-making process in terms of putting guys on the field just because of the equality that exists between them all. And he said, you know, he basically said, I'm not concerning myself with this because I think he knows that's a good problem to have. Now, it can, I guess, get sticky at times, right? I mean, you know, late in the season, you still got guys fighting for spots. It may not be the best uh, overall, but I mean, Vanderbilt's dealt with before. Um, but what, what do you, you look at these position guys, what, what do you think of, and, and maybe who are some of your predictions at some of those spots I mentioned that are maybe still up in the air? Yeah. So I'm with you at the corners. Um, and, and you got to like what you got there. I mean, Chris Maldonado, I mean, just solid steady Eddie kind of guy. I mean, he's not flashy. It's not like, I don't think he's, I mean, I'm going to say this and he's gonna have a monster year, but he doesn't strike you as a guy who's going to go out and be a big prospect or win SEC player of the year, mm-hmm. but you just kind of know what you're going to get there. And Davis Diaz, uh, you've probably seen some of the similar, I know it's been talked about around Vanderbilt, so you've probably seen some of these stats, but you know, hit the ball harder than anybody on the club last year. Had a, His batting average on balls in play was abnormally low. I mean, something like 220 or something. That's just, you know, 300 mm-hmm. is kind of an average number there. So yeah. he could hit the ball just as hard as he did last year and hit three 300 plus next year, right? So, And I saw him on the Cape and he looked great, so I, I feel pretty good about him there. 
Uh, Vastine, of course, um, you know, I, I don't think he gets appreciated necessarily for, I mean, there's shortcomings offensively, but, you know, really steady defender, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the st- Kentucky's Grant Smith is probably the best defensive shortstop in the, in the, in the conference, but Vastine is, is in that mix there for sure. At second base, I have an inkling that it's Kojal. I, th- I think there's going to be a little bit of an emphasis put on defensive ability and athleticism and, and Kojal's defensive ceiling is incredibly high. Um, and he's a very good athlete. He's a very good leader on the field. I mean, high school quarterback, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaden Davis strikes me as, I mean, you're going to want his bat in the lineup, but he strikes me as a DH or, uh, you know, maybe Chris Maldonado is not swinging it well. Let's put him at first and put somebody else at DH, you know, one of the, one of the catchers, if you will, at mm-hmm. DH. Um, and he's just, you know, I'm not an, I'm not an evaluator, but to my eye, Kojo looks like the better defender at, at second base. So I, that's kind of where I go there. I do think RJ Austin um, center field seems like the, the ticket there for him. And it, I think it's a good progression of his uh, him as, as a player. I, I know scouts are really excited to see him out there. It's obviously an electric athlete and, you know, Vandy got spoiled a little bit with the having Bradfield out there for so long. So it's, it's going to mm-hmm. look a little bit different. He's not the same type of runner, but he is a similar kind of athlete, and so I think there's a lot of a lot of upside there. And then you know the corner outfield spots, man. You, you want to talk about a lot of a lot of various options and guys who can do a lot of different things. I think the key out there is is what do you get from Troy Laniv, right? Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, he has the he has the pop in his bat to carry carry a lineup. Um, I, I think to some degree he, I mean, the injuries were one thing, but also you know, maybe he just kind of is what he is. He's maybe a limited offensive player, but when he gets hot, he gets really hot. <laughs> and, you know, in the scrimmage, you he gets the, forest, a couple bombs. Yeah. Saw the SEC swing in Herber. Yeah. Right. SEC tournament. Like that looks like it's supposed to look. And and obviously he's a, a hardworking guy who wouldn't still be around if he didn't want this. Right. I mean, like right. it'd have been real easy for him to be like last year to be like, you know what? I Fine. Writing's on the wall. Like I'm just going to get my Vanderbilt degree and see you later, you know, but he stuck mm-hmm. around, worked at it came back. I think that counts for something. Jacob Humphrey is going to be interesting for me. Obviously it's center fielder speed. He'll, you know, I think he's probably more ticketed for right field on this team because of RJ Austin. It's, it's a good arm. How much he's going to hit is the question for me. You know, I like the swing. I do think it's pretty good feel to hit, but you know, going from the America East to the sec is that's, a, that's a tough adjustment. And if you're if you're making that kind of adjustment, we've seen mid-major guys come to the SEC and and have a lot of success. But the America East of the SEC is a, about as big as a jump as you can make in terms of, of mm-hmm. conference quality. And um, you look at what the numbers he put up at UMass Lowell, which are, are are very good. It's not you compare that to the numbers of say Sonny Deshera when he went from Samford to Auburn, where he was hitting like 400 at Samford like clearly was an elite bat to ball guy with quick hands and some power. And and Jacob Humphrey just isn't that in terms of, of his profile. If he can get on base enough, suddenly he's really, he's one of the more dangerous players in the conference, but it's getting him to first base. That's going to be going to be the thing I'm, I'm kind of fascinated in. And if, if he can be that type of guy, be a pest on the bases, I think they've got something there, but that's the question for me. All right, I got a fill in the blank one for you here. Mm, okay. This blank blank has to happen. Or I guess if Vanderbilt's in Omaha at the end of the season, this has happened. What what has happened in the regional, in the super, or even regular season that okay, Vanderbilt's in Omaha now. 
So I, I think there's, I'll give you two scenarios. The one that strikes me as most likely is the pitching is so overwhelming that basically it's 2023 Kentucky on steroids where it's like <laughs> they steal some bases. They put a ton of pressure on defenses. They, they lead mm-hmm. the sec in batting average, even though they don't hit a ton of home runs, they're, they're hitting doubles and triples. And the pitching is just is far and away the best staff in the sec. And that's how they get to Omaha. Like that strikes me as the most likely scenario. And honestly, I, I could see it hundred percent. I could see it. Um, because if you, if you can miss bats in the sec, that's your cheat code. Like you, you just can't, it's, it's, it's such a tough needle to thread. If you're trying to pitch to contact in the sec, because the, <laughs> the ball is flying. There's a lot of ballparks that are very offensive. Shout out to Neyland or Neyland stadium. That's the football stadium, <laughs> Lindsay Nelson stadium in Knoxville. Um, you know, the ball flies out of there. So like, there are a lot of offensive ballparks in the sec. You can't, you can't sit there and, and, and try to sink or slider your way to, to, to winning games, <laughs> you know, unless you're just an elite guy, you know, you, you got to miss bats and the pitching staff can do that. So that's, that's scenario. Number one scenario. Number two is that we are because folks like you and I are not trained eyes. We're not coaches. We're not MLB scouts. We just don't see some of the latent potential on the position player side. And this mm-hmm. actually ends up being, there's a couple of stars in the waiting, whether it's, Davis Diaz, oh, you know, he is hitting the ball hard, and now it's translated to him hitting 12 to 15 home runs and hitting 320, right? And, and RJ Austin is a menace in the same way that Enrique Bradfield was, and he's hitting 350 and he's stealing 35, 40 bases, whatever it is. Um, Troy Leneva is healthy, and he's a double digit home run guy. So that's the other part is that actually this team was pretty well balanced, and it's just that these guys that had some latent potential that hadn't quite reached it kind of all come together in 2024 and reach that potential together. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Before we wrap it up, Joe, where does Vanderbilt fit? I'll, I'll, I'll narrow it in the sec East. We, we know that the entire sec, of course, they'll be going to 16 next year, uh, which is a whole nother conversation, but uh, where does Vanderbilt fit in that division? Because it, it will be improved, but it feels like, I think you would agree is sort of a tiered division um, with, with maybe the top three. Uh, and then overall SEC outlook, uh, kind of what what are you expecting from uh, from the conference this year? So the, I'll take the second one first. You know, last year we went into last we went into last season, kind of looking at okay LSU one, Tennessee two, and then what? Right? And it didn't necessarily play out that way. Tennessee had their struggles. Even LSU, frankly, had their struggles until they kind of sorted it out late. Obviously, this year feels different in that you know we've got Florida, Arkansas. Uh, LSU, Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, and Tennessee all in the top 10. And with those teams, I have some inklings. Like I could tell you, I definitely like Florida more than I like Tennessee, for example. But really within those six teams, shake them up in a bag and pull them out in whatever order you want. Because I I think you can find legitimate reasons to like one versus any of the others at any given time, and then vice versa. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what to expect is it's like the SEC is always kind of a dogfight. This year feels particularly so. That said, in the East, I I don't think there's anyone but Florida at this point I would take ahead of Vanderbilt. I think Florida just, they have the, the, the high-end pitching talent, right? They have Jack Caglione on the mound. They have Cade Fisher moving to the rotation. They have Liam Peterson, who I referenced earlier, the electric freshman arm. Brandon Neely's back to close games. Much like Vanderbilt, they also have a like a bunch of you know young guys you've never heard of yet who are throwing you know ninety five mm-hmm. miles an hour and like we don't even know what their role is going to be. Um, and then offensively, you've got obviously Cags who 
could he have 40 home runs? Like maybe, I don't know. <laughs> like the amazing thing about Cags is that he really doesn't walk, but he also yeah. doesn't strike out. <clears throat> excuse me. He also doesn't strike out a ton. Like it's not like he's out there swinging and missing and striking out 85 times. So he's clearly putting the bat on the ball. So if he can be a little more selective, like who's to say he couldn't hit 35, 40 home runs, which is just insane. I mean, we haven't seen those numbers in college baseball since like, you know, Lance Berkman was running around at rice 20 years ago. <laughs> so that would, you know, that would be pretty incredible, but they, they brought in Colby Shelton offensively. He's obviously, you know, one of the better hitters in the sec. They have Luke Heyman back hit something like 12 bombs last year. Brody Donay hit 12 home runs in like 150 at bats last year at Virginia tech, a lot of pop there. So they feel really, really well-rounded. We have them as the highest-ranked SEC team, so th that's no surprise there. But I like Vanderbilt right behind them. You know, Tennessee's in this mix as well in the East. That's the other team to, to talk about in the East. But I have some questions about their rotation for the first time in several years now. Uh, it's Drew Beam is back, and you like that if you're a Tennessee fan. But they, they have questions behind him. Now, they've got talent. Obviously, it's Tennessee. But they, they do have questions there. And then, then offensively, it's... You know, is Christian Moore ready to be the guy in their lineup? Is Blake Burke mm -hmm. going to take a step forward? Because Blake Burke's numbers on paper look okay last year, but in SEC play, it wasn't great. You know, it's, you know, two, 207 or 209 in SEC play with five home runs. So can he take that step? Do they have somebody in their lineup who's ready to to be the guy for them? They've, they've kind of siphoned off a lot of that talent that's been there the last couple of years has, has matriculated out into pro baseball. And they've replenished it with some talented guys, but but can they be SEC Player of the Year type of players in the in the lineup? So, um, Florida, Vanderbilt, Tennessee in the East for me is is the one, two, three there. Can't wait. Baseball is uh, is just about here. It all kicks off, I guess I can say. Uh, Vanderbilt and FAU, <laughs> February sixteenth uh, at good team. The Hawk good team to start off with. Like, yeah. What what is that look like, Joe? No, go, I couldn't I, tell you. I, I actually. I, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you specifically. Go check out Aaron Fit did our American Athletic Conference preview on our website. But I, I can tell you that they always overachieve. Um, they're not typically the most talented team, although they do have a big leaguer recently, Nolan Shanuel, who was their first baseman like 15 minutes ago, and he's already in the big leagues. Um, wow. <laughs> so they're always fairly talented. I, I don't want to disparage them. Um, the last couple of years, they haven't been in regionals, but they're perennial regional team go look at their history they're in a regional wow. basically on average every other year um they're they're probably third or fourth best team in the american i would imagine and here's here's the kicker oftentimes for sec clubs that first weekend you're not only playing a smaller conference foe but oftentimes you're also playing a foe from maybe a cold weather climate or just not the best right you know mm -hmm. but FAU's in Boca Raton. Like, I don't have to yeah. tell you that it's been 80 degrees and sunny every day the mm -hmm. last two months. That team is going to have played a lot of baseball outside. They're going to have taken a lot of live reps. They're going to have taken bullpens outside. They're going to have been on real mounds. That can, they're going to come out ready to play. Like, they're not going to come out rusty or, you know, just like, I mean, it might be chilly in Nashville that day, but FAU's going to have been outside in warm weather. So that can help a team that's already pretty good. John McCormick is their head coach. He's been there forever. Uh, well respected, truly one of the most well-respected head coaches in college baseball. He's one of those guys you don't hear any bad stuff about ever. Mm -hmm. I I'm sure he and coach Corbin go way back. Um, yeah. cause John McCormick had been around a little bit. So I'm sure that's kind of how this series came about. They're both 
very involved in ABCA stuff, you know, legislation stuff. So um, I think it's going to be a fun series. I think it's going to be overlooked in terms of being a fun series. You know, Vanderbilt should should win the series and, and maybe even sweep, but it's not. This is not going to be a series, and I, I'm sure Corbin and his staff know this. This is not going to be the type of series where Vanderbilt can just like walk out there and, and swagger onto the field and say, "Hey, we can, mm-hmm. you know, we can just out talent these guys." They are more talented, but that doesn't mean you're just going to roll over them. It's a it's a good program. Look at that. We we get our Vanderbilt breakdown and FAU breakdown <laughs> in, a, in a basically a series preview. Everything uh, Vanderbilt yeah, fans go. would want in in an episode. But uh, that's Joe Healy uh, on D1Baseball.com. Uh, Joe, real quick, tell people how the, how they can find you and 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 uh, your guys' stuff at SEC Extra. Yeah, uh, social media at Joe Healy D1. Simple enough there. Uh, and then head to D1Baseball.com. Click the SEC Extra tab at the top of the page. Uh, if you've not subscribed, uh, first of all, thank you to those who have. Truly, truly greatly appreciate it. I don't for a second take for granted that I get to do this for a career. This is not a real job, like, but I get to do it. And I'm forever thankful that I do get to do it. I love it. Mark feels the same. I'll speak for him there. But if you've not, uh, we'd be humbled if you gave us gave us a shot. You know, Derek, uh, Billy mentioned it that you know, we, we try to cover all 14. And so that means we cover Vanderbilt because, hey, that's a great program. They've been great forever. But, you know, we cover we try to cover Mizzou with the same intensity we do Vanderbilt. We cover Kentucky with the same intensity we do Florida. That's kind of the goal we came in with it because it keeps us sharp. It keeps us on top of what's happening all around the country. So I get that your listeners are going to be mostly interested in the Vanderbilt side of it. But we hope along the way you'll find some cool and interesting stories in the rest of the conference that you might be interested in. We might be able to rope you in with. So like I said, if, if you've not jumped on board, we, we would be humbled if you'd give us a shot. And, and I can promise you we're we're working hard to, to try to bring the best content we can to you every day. Love it. Thanks, Joe. Enjoy opening day. Thanks, Billy. I appreciate it, man. Anytime. Okay. Um, close in three, two, one. A couple of great interviews there with uh, Andrew Allegretta, play-by-play voice, Vanderbilt Baseball, and Joe Healy, who is is one of my uh, my favorites over there at d1baseball.com. He was, of course, at that scrimmage between Vanderbilt and Wake Forest, and he's got the insight on uh, on Vanderbilt Baseball. So great to, uh, to catch up with a couple of informative voices ahead of this baseball season. And finally, this podcast has always been free, and we plan for it to always be free. So here's how you can help keep it that way. Firstly, give the podcast review and a five-star rating. That helps us get noticed. If you're listening and haven't subscribed to VandySports.com, please do. It's $99 a year and helps us tremendously. Subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel. Lots of great content over there. That's free as well. And if you're interested in sponsoring the show, email Chris Lee at chrislee70 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again soon with more episodes of the Vandy Sports Podcast.